This episode of Appalachian Murder Mystery and Legend is brought to you by Carpe because life can get sweaty. Carpe was founded by heavy sweaters for heavy sweaters. Carpe creates reliable sweat control no matter where, why, or how much you sweat. We have sweat care for everywhere, even outside the gym. You should never worry about sweat. Go to mycarpe.com, that's M-Y-C-A-R-P-E.com, and take the quiz that will point you to the correct products just for you. Carpe comes with a 100% money-back guarantee, and as always, products are shipped free of charge. So check out mycarpe.com, because life can get sweaty. Appalachia. Appalachia is a very distinct word, and everybody has their own opinion of what it represents. Moreover, though, whether it's right or wrong, it stirs up images of everything from indescribable mountaintop beauty, deep forest, and cabins in the wood, to trailer parks, meth heads, extreme prejudice, and xenophobia. The fact that one word can bring up such a huge response is an owed to its far-reaching influence in society. The Appalachian Mountains are the oldest mountains in the world. They once towered 30,000 feet into the air and currently stretch from Canada through 14 states all the way to Louisiana. The inhabitants of these mountains through the many years of their existence have lived through and witnessed what can only be described as horrendous, demeaning, and even downright unbelievable history as we are now learning every day is not exactly what we've been told and what was once thought to be nothing more than fairy tale is now coming to light as truth. I often hear references to the movie Deliverance or people making funny banjo sounds when describing the Appalachians. I, being born and raised in these mountains, know that nothing in fact could be more wrong or, in some cases, more right. The history that lies in these mountains is rich and has been around longer than any place in the United States. In fact, far longer than the United States itself. We'll look into these mountains and learn about the good, the bad, and the ugly history that lies within them to this very day. Hello, I'm Larry Bentley, and this is Appalachian Murder, Mystery, and Legend. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble, with exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Merry Christmas, my good friends. Thank you again for joining me here today. The joy of the Christmas season can't be compared to any other holiday that we celebrate. In the mountains, we wake up early on Christmas. We want everything to be right for the gathering of family and, well, those who are close enough to us that they may as well be. There's cooking to be done for the big meal and be shared by everybody. Turkey, ham, sweet potatoes, stuffing, and dressing, well... Dressing is what some people call it in the mountains. 
That reminds me, the lovely and gracious Mrs. Bentley makes one called fried dressing. You ought to look that one up. That's some good eating right there. And, of course, we got pumpkin pie. They're all staples of the holiday feast. The lights on the tree are lighted, and the radio plays those old tunes that we all know and love as children. They all gather around and play with their new gadgets that Santa Claus left them the night before. If there's time for a break while something finishes baking or cooking, we might step out onto the porch and cool off in the nippy mountain air and see if there just might be a snow coming. Or, if we're lucky, there's already one upon us. Then, as all are gathered in prayer of thanksgiving, we enjoy peace on earth as everything seems to come to a stop for just a few hours to allow us to celebrate the season. Come on in, have yourself a seat, and let me tell you about the day in 1929 when that very peace was broken as gunshots rang out, creating, a, well, for those involved, a nightmare for Christmas. Now, as you head south on US 52 from Mount Air, North Carolina, you'll come to a town called Germanton, North Carolina. It was established in 1790 and is the oldest community in Stokes County. The town's original 23 acres were part of a 700-acre tract that was granted to Jacob Lash by the Earl of Granville in 1762. The 23 acres were deeded from brothers Michael and Henry Fay. The town was named after an influx of Germanic immigrants who had served as veterans in the American Revolution and were given incentives to settle the area. Now, back in my younger days, I would go visit friends in that area, and the beauty of the country there is just stunning, and the folks are as nice as nice gets. Anyway, it was a cold Christmas day in 1929 in Germantown when shots were heard by the local folks. The shots seemed to be coming from the area known as the Lawson Family Farm, where lived the family of 43-year-old Charlie Lawson. People recalled Charlie just a week or so earlier when Charlie had loaded his wife Fanny and their seven children into his truck for a drive to Winston-Salem, which was about 13 miles further down Route 52. He had bought them all new clothes, which was spending a spending spree that he was not a, usually accustomed to, especially in his family. Charlie told them all to put their new duds on because they were heading to a local photography studio where he had them set for a family portrait. He said that was all part of a big Christmas surprise he had planned for. Charlie and Fanny Lawson had married back in 1911. By the Christmas of 1929, they had eight children, though one had died from pneumonia at the age of six. Charlie moved with his family to the Germantown area in 1918 and began sharecropping tobacco. By 1927, the Lawsons had saved enough money to buy a farm on Brook Cove Road. In the evenings, Charlie, Fanny, and Arthur would who was his 16-year-old son, and Marie, who was a 17-year-old daughter, would work together fixing up the farmhouse. While we're moving rotten timbers, Charlie accidentally whacked himself in the forehead with an axe. After the accident, neighbors and family members noticed a change in his personality. Well, now, I don't know about you, but if I smack myself in the forehead with an axe, it might just change my personality for a little while anyway. 
I might even invent a few new words to add to the English dictionary, too. Now, we Appalachians know that there's nothing odd about a gunshot or two ringing out on Christmas or Thanksgiving as many folks spend those holidays hunting. But the shots heard on that day just kept coming. Concern for the Lawsons began to grow until finally a few folks decided that they might ought to go check them out. That's when they found the entire Lawson family except the eldest son, Arthur, and his father, Charlie, dead. The bodies were found in with their arms crossed over their chest and rocks put underneath their heads like pillows. Arthur said that his father had sent him to the store for an errand, which must have been right before the killing started. By now, the police were on the scene and were wondering exactly where Charlie was. Did the murderers chase him into the woods or over at another location somewhere and kill him too? Or maybe did he escape? People began to gather at the Lawson's residence after hearing about the tragedy. As the locals searched for Charlie, they heard one last gunshot out in the woods. Then they listened as they heard his dogs howling in the distance. They followed to where the sound was and found Charlie dead. The gunshot that they heard was Charlie being shot. He was found laying next to the gun used to kill him. You ain't heard nothing yet. I'll be right back. You're listening to Appalachian Murder Mystery and Legend with Larry Bentley. After being suspicious of Arthur as a possible killer in this case, they now knew that he'd had to be innocent. After all, he couldn't have been out there and shot Charlie while he was standing there beside him. They talked with Arthur in an attempt to figure out what happened, and this is pretty much what they found out. As Christmas Day dawned, Maria woke early to blend her butter, sugar, and egg whites, and roll a cup of raisins into the flour and pour the mixture into circular pans where uh, she was going to make her signature dessert cake and it would soon be iced and decorated ready for the family's holiday feast. While the cake was cooling, Charlie, Arthur, and Charlie's two beagles set out on a hunting trip. According to Arthur, they ran out of ammunition, so Charlie sent his son to Germantown to buy some more as Marie was finishing up in the kitchen. Arthur remembered that his two younger sisters, Carrie, who was 12, and Mabel, 6, had decided to visit the aunt and uncle nearby and hadn't yet left when he set out for Germantown. What neither Marie nor her mother could have known was that Charlie was waiting out by the barn. As Carrie and Mabel walked by, he popped out with his shotgun and shot his own two daughters, and to make sure they were dead, he bludgeoned them with a hoe handle. He then dragged the little bodies into the barn where he found, uh, laid them down with their arms crossed over their bodies and placed a rock underneath each one of them's head. Charlie, after doing the unthinkable, wasn't done yet. He headed to the house where he saw Fanny who was peeling potatoes on the front porch. He just plain shot her, cold blood right there. He calmly reloaded his shotgun and opened the front door as if coming in from a day's work, where he leveled and shot Marie, too, who then slumped to the floor in front of the fireplace. He then dragged Fanny into the house and placed her next to Marie in the same position as he did the girls in the barn with rocks under each one of them's head. 
He then proceeded on to find two-year-old James and four-year-old Raymond, both of whom he shot as well. Then, as if all that weren't enough, without the slightest bit of hesitation, he beat four-month-old Barry Lou to death. He laid them all out in the same room in the same position that he had the others, placing rocks under each one of them's head. Charlie then ran into the nearby woods where those searching for him heard a single gunshot ring out. They found letters near Charlie that he had written to his parents in a crumpled scrap of paper that read, Blame nobody but I. They also saw where the grass had been trampled in a circle around a tree or near Charlie's body. It is believed that he has, had been pacing around the tree and then surmised that he used a gun to take his own life. The entire family was dressed in their new Christmas outfits and buried in a single plot. The killing attracted so much attention of, that an estimated 1,500 people attended the funeral. And folks, that's quite a few people for back then in that area. The only survivor of the nightmare was the oldest son, Arthur, who Charlie had sent to an errand just before the killing started. Sadly, Arthur lived on until 1945 when he was killed instantly in a vehicle accident. He was survived by his wife and four children. While Charlie would save his son Arthur from the awful fate of the others, uh, well, some think that it was because Arthur was as big and strong as Charlie and could have maybe stopped him from carrying out the evil deed. The reason for the Christmas nightmare is a subject of debate among folks even today. The mention of a Christmas surprise led some to believe Charlie's act was premeditated, and I'm one of them. Others blame Charlie's head injury. However, an autopsy and analysis of his brain at Johns Hopkins Hospital found uh, he just didn't have any abnormalities at all. Many other rumors circulated around the question of why Charlie would kill his family, including speculation that the sharecropper had witnessed an organized crime incident and that he and his family were murdered to silence him. It wasn't until 1990 when the book White Christmas, Bloody Christmas was published that a claim of an incestuous relationship between Charlie and Marie surfaced. Stella Lawson, who is a relative who had been interviewed for the book, called the author, author and said that she overheard Fanny's sister-in-law and aunts, including Stella's own mother, Jetty Lawson, discussing how Franny had confided in them that she was concerned about an incestuous relationship between Charlie and Marie. Now, Jetty Lawson had passed away in her early 1928, meaning Fanny had been suspicious of the relationship at least a year before the murders took place. A close friend of Marie Lawson's, Ella May, disclosed that a few weeks before Christmas, Marie told her that she was pregnant with her father's baby and that Charlie and Fanny knew about it. Strange stories of premonitions and curses and ghosts even run rampant in the Germantown area, or ran rampant, I guess. That was just after Arthur died and in his 30s by that freak accident. In time, the Lawson cabin was demolished, and interest in the tragedy, well, it seemed to die out with it. And... There are still a few old-timers left around the area that sometimes talk about the nightmare that came for Christmas. Hope you got something out of our story today. If you have, please rate and review the podcast, and don't forget to follow us on whatever media you're listening. Or you can go to the Facebook group, Appalachian Murder Mystery and Legend Podcast, where we can discuss all the stuff you want to talk about. I don't care what it is. We'll, we'll do something with everything.
I'll be back soon with another Appalachian murder mystery and legend. Happy holidays to you and yours.